The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're talking about the good stuff. Um, you ever had those moments when you, you go, you kind of have an aha moment. You're like, oh, that's how this works. Um, I've, had a, I've had a lot of those over the years. Um, one, one in particular that, I, that I, I'm reminded of in this moment is uh, I was, uh, when, I, when I first started getting into bow hunting and, and trying to sight in a bow. Um, so I was shooting at the target, and I was a little right. So I kicked down, I adjust the sight, and I move it a little bit to, you know, the left, and go, I mean, need to bring this thing over to the left, and I shoot, and I'd be further. I move it some more, and then I'd be further. I'm like, what's going on? I must be a terrible shot. I'm going to be horrible at, at this whole bow hunting thing. And it took me a while to learn. I had to do some reading that when you're sighting in a bow, you follow the arrow. So if you are shooting to the right, you move the sight to the right. Because if you move the sight to the right, it'll make you move the bow back to the left. Kind of different when you're sighting in a gun. Same thing up and down. If you're, if you're shooting high, you move the bow high, and it'll cause you to bring the bow down. Makes sense afterwards, but when you're trying to think through it, it doesn't. When you're building something, when you start, first started getting into construction, and you start mastering the skill saw, and you measure, you're like, what was you go to measure? Measure one, or measure twice? Measure twice, cut once, right? And so you do that, and you're like, okay, I got this. And then you put it together, and you're like, this board's too short. Like, I know I measured this the right. I measured twice and cut once, just like they said. But it's, and then you figure out in time, oh, you have to allow for the, the width of the saw blade. <laughs> and that'll throw you off. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, that's how this works. And so when we look in the Word, um, when we look in, in Luke chapter 6, I think there's a lot here in, oh, oh that's how this, this whole thing works. When we're talking about good stuff, God doing good stuff in our lives, and, and seeing the good stuff in the Word of God. When I come to, to Luke chapter 6, I kept, the Lord kept having me land on, on chapter 43, or verse 43 in chapter 6, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man, the good man, it says, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. It's like, like the Lord just kept bringing me right back to that scripture. And I, I just scratched my head and I'm like, man, I, I'm not seeing it, Lord. I'm not seeing it. Help me. I'm not seeing what you're wanting me to say to your people. He kept drawing me right back to that scripture, and I just, you know, wrestled with it and continued to wrestle with it until finally I feel like the Lord is showing me what he wants me to share with you. And in this experience, it finally came. It's the whole chapter. Like, the whole chapter helps this particular portion of it to really make sense to me. And so as we look at this today, I think what we're seeing is when we talk about the good stuff, this, this is how it works. Like this is the aha, okay, this, this is how this whole thing can have meaning and what Luke is trying to teach us here in the sixth chapter uh, of this section of his gospel, we learn a lot of things that, that Jesus was doing. And so I want to just jump in there. There's so much good stuff in there. One, I couldn't put all the scripture in because there's like I don't know, what, 49 verses or something? 
And two, I didn't feel real strongly led to like, just give the normal points. And so I left you a section in your bulletin that you can take your own notes, add in there what the Lord speaks to you as we're going along the way. And I'll share some things about what's going on. But I think it's, it's all about how this whole thing works. When it comes to following Jesus, how does it work? And so we start in verse um, 1 of chapter 6, and we learn it says that one Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So the first question we got to deal with is, okay, what what were they doing? What's so wrong about picking those heads of grain and, and rubbing them together and eating them? I mean, they were hungry. Well, There was a law that you were to keep the Sabbath holy. So God gave them a law to keep the Sabbath day holy. And it went all the way back to the time of Moses that they were to remember um, the Sabbath. And we even know that in the creation story that God rested after he created in six days on the seventh day he rested. And so we see that there is a Sabbath that is connected to following and being obedient to the Lord. Well, As part of that, they were not to do any harvesting. You were not to harvest your fields on the Sabbath day. So as time went on, the Pharisees had taken the law and they they had like interpreted, okay, what actually can you do that would not constitute work? And so they just, they, 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 took it down to the letter of the law and they defined for the people, this is what it means to keep this law. And so they said you couldn't pick any grain. Well, the disciples were not harvesting. They were not bringing in a harvest. They were simply taking a few heads of grain and and eating them because they were hungry. And the Pharisees were appalled by the fact that they were doing that. And they had become so legalistic that they said that they were harvesting on the Sabbath day. And so they asked Jesus, why in the world are you letting um, your, your, your followers, your disciples do this? You're, they're violating the law. And so Jesus answers them, and he says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And so Jesus, being the master teacher that he is, immediately refers back to one of the like heroes of the Jewish people, King David, the, the first uh, true king uh, that they had, the first king that followed after uh, uh, God outside of, uh, you know, obviously he was the second king, but he was the king after God's own heart. And so he says, did you never read about what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, He ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is a huge statement. When he says Son of Man, he's referring to himself. God created the Sabbath. So when Jesus says to these Pharisees that he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming in front of them, to be God himself. I am Lord of the Sabbath. You're looking at the Lord of the Sabbath himself. And he's explaining to them what David did and said that that was not unlawful. God certainly permitted it. And so then Luke tells us another thing about the Sabbath. And he says, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. 
And so his right hand, there was something wrong with it. You, you've seen people who have had hands that are, are shriveled up like that maybe, and, and they're, they're not able to use them. They're not healthy. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. Okay, so, so Jesus is in this room. They're, they're, it's a Sabbath day. There's this guy with this messed up hand, and it's obvious he had some type of deformity with his hand. And the Pharisees are watching to see what Jesus will do, to see if he will actually heal the man on the Sabbath. And so Jesus knows what they're thinking. So he says to the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood in front of everyone. So now we see Jesus and we see all the Pharisees, well, what's about to go down here? And so Jesus looks at the man and he says to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so they missed the miracle altogether. All they could see was the fact that he had broken what they had interpreted, interpreted to be the law, that you could not do any work on the law. And he was, actually, he was obviously doing work because he was healing a person. Now, on another occasion, when we study the Gospels, we see that Jesus said to them, look, if, if one of you has a donkey and he falls into the ditch and he gets stuck, if it's the Sabbath day, are you going to leave your donkey down in there to die or are you going to get down in the ditch and get your donkey out of the ditch? And the guys are obviously, we're going to get our donkey out of the ditch. He said, well, how much more a guy who is, is, is made in the image of God, if, if, he, if, you choose to, if I choose to heal him, is, you think that's offensive to God? And so he's trying to establish something. Now, the question is, in Luke chapter 6, as we're dealing with how this thing works, what in the world does this have to do with you and me? What in the world does this have to do with how our faith works? What we see is that Luke is showing us that Jesus is creating a new Sabbath. As he, as he heals on the Sabbath intentionally, as he does things, he's, he's demonstrating to the religious leaders that they have, they have missed it 100%. And so he is establishing a new Sabbath. And he says the Son of Man was, um, is Lord of the Sabbath. <clears throat> in a, <clears throat> excuse me. In another place he talks about how the Sabbath was made for man, and man was not made for the Sabbath. And, and so when, when he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, what he is teaching them is that Jesus is, is proclaiming to be the Sabbath himself. Now, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is rest, okay? Rest for the weary. This is why God established it. Uh, rest for the field. There would be a Sabbath rest even for the fields that produce the harvest. And so there was a Sabbath to be over all of these things. It was a type of rest. And so as Jesus says that I am Lord of the Sabbath, he is the new Sabbath. Remember Jesus says, come unto me all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest for what? Your souls. 
And so when we look at what Luke is trying to teach us here, and we're thinking about, okay, how does my faith work? The first thing we have to establish is that as Jesus comes and he begins his teaching ministry, one of the things that he addresses is there will be a new Sabbath, as that Jesus will come to create this new thing that will bring about rest for our weary souls. So that when I enter into relationship with him, I can be in all of this place of turmoil individually and inside of what's going on in me. I can, I can have all of this anxiety running out of control, but when I enter into a, a relationship with Jesus, I am yoking up with his teaching and I will find rest for my soul, a sabbatical rest for what is going on inside of me. And so the first thing we see is Jesus creates a new Sabbath. Now watch this. One of those days, so, so Luke, again, he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to communicate something to us. He says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. He stayed up all night long just talking to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. What is the second thing we see that Jesus does? First, he makes a new Sabbath. The second thing he establishes is a new nation. The nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes. There was one chief that was to be the leader of each of the tribes. It goes all the way back to the time of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and they are made up the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when we see that Jesus is picking 12 apostles, what is he saying? Not only am I creating a new Sabbath where you've totally missing it, I'm creating a new nation. Remember, he says over and over, I have come and my kingdom is not of this world. I'm creating a new nation. And these 12 guys of which I'm going to pour my life into for the next three years are going to be the pillars, the chiefs, if you will, about how the church is going to come out of the ground and be all that it's supposed to be. So Jesus, first of all, Luke wants us to know that Jesus established a new Sabbath. And it was going to mean rest for our souls, that we could be weary individuals and we could enter into relationship with him and we could find soul rest for ourselves. But not only that, whenever we found that soul rest and entered into that relationship with him, we would be a part of a new nation of whom the 12 apostles would establish what it would be like to be a part of this nation. That's why it's so important for the New Testament to always have a connection back to one of the, if we look at the, the writings of the New Testament, they had to have a connection, a relationship, if you will, to the apostles, the original apostles, because they were going to be the leaders of the new nation that Jesus was establishing on the planet, and that new nation is the church itself. So we see that, first of all, Luke says, hey, there's going to be a new Sabbath, and then there's going to be a new nation. And the way that we are entering into this new nation is if we have a soul rest that takes place inside of ourselves where we've encountered Christ and we know him. And then he goes on in verse 17, and he says he shows us something else so we're seeing, okay, how does this work? The aha moment. How does this whole thing work for me as a follower of Christ? What's going on? Well, Jesus establishes a new Sabbath. He establishes a new nation. And then in verse 17, it says that after he picks these guys, that he went down with them and stood on a level place. 
And a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And looking at his disciples and he begins uh, to teach. So Uh, As we look at this, what we have is a shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so it's a condensed version that Luke is sharing with us. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. um, He chooses these 12 apostles. And then he goes to this level place. um, And after spending all night in prayer, the power of God is coming out of him. He's already established. Luke is trying to show us that there is a new Sabbath. It is Jesus when we enter into rest with him. There is a new nation that has... um, led by the 12 apostles, and now we begin to see a new life. And he says, looking at his disciples, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you or reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. And so he tells them, like, blessed are you if you're poor. Blessed are you if you're hungry. Blessed are you um, if, if people are ridiculing you. And then he goes on and he, he flips the coin and he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So what is Jesus doing here? Is he saying that in order for us to be part of this new nation that he has created, that we have to have a life in which we embrace poverty? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is Is he saying that we have to embrace a life in which we are actually ridiculed by others? That's not what Jesus is saying at all. If we look again at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, the expanded version of what Luke is referring to here, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so when Jesus contrasts these two different things, and one of them is, is one who is in poverty, who is, who, who's in need, it's a spiritual poverty. So one recognizes that they are spiritually broken. The other is seeking out wealth and material things in this world. And Jesus is basically saying, woe to you if you get caught up in consuming all of the things of the world for yourself, because guess what? You will actually get it but you will end up still broken. But blessed are you if you become the type of person who seeks my kingdom, this nation of which I'm creating that is new, you seek it above all else. You put it before everything else, you will be a a fulfilled individual. And so what Jesus is showing here is in this new life that people are a part of this new nation of which he has created that has a new Sabbath that enter into a place of soul rest, they will be people who have a different attitude and approach to life. 
And so the people who make up the nation that Jesus is creating will be people who approach life completely different than anybody else in the world. Most of the world is going to approach life to where they're trying to achieve success, uh, material success, material possessions, uh, material experiences, all of these things. And and Jesus is not saying none of those things are, are bad. What he is saying, though, is that when our life is measured by our pursuit of those things, we will miss what it means to be a part of his kingdom, which is to be in pursuit of righteousness, which is to be in pursuit of of to be um, rich toward God, to have God filling us with his very presence, to understand that there is a new Sabbath, a new nation, and a new life to be lived. And so it all is about our approach to life. Now, now he goes into this really hard stuff as a part of this life. Not only is this life new in the way people think about it and their attitudes as to the way they approach it, they treat people differently. Now watch what happens. But I tell you, who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if not, and, and who, who, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who, who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. like, whoa. Like, how in the world do you do that? Like... Loan to people without expecting to get paid back. Someone takes something from you, give them something extra. Someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Now, we look at that. What Jesus is beginning to show us is that in this new uh, uh, attitude and approach to life, the people who are part of his new nation, of which there is a new Sabbath, and they understand that Sabbath, they, he's not telling us things to do. He's describing for us what these people of this new nation will be like. Now, the one that kind of gets us here is, is the slapped. Now, somebody slaps you in the face. Like, somebody, pow, turn the other cheek. I, that doesn't happen too often to us, right? I, I, I can only remember a couple of times that I've been slapped, Okay. One was about 1997. 
It was a good slap, too. I'm talking about come out of nowhere, didn't ever see it coming, just pow, right in front of people. And Abby is the one that slapped me. Okay? We're right in the middle of a Monopoly game, which I am the king of Monopoly. Like, I love Monopoly. I've been playing it all my life. And I am, like, I've got hotels everywhere. I've got a pile of cash and it's like, it's just like, it's written on the wall. And so I'm making deals, I'm striking deals with people, and I'm just wanting people to roll the dice so I can get paid, right? And I'm just like loving every minute of it, and I'm just running my mouth because that's what I do when I play games. Like, I'm just running my mouth. My buddy's there with, with his wife, and one of my friends is, is there that's dating my, my cousin, and we're just having a good time, and I'm laughing. I look up, and all of a sudden, whap, right in front of me. I'm like, whoa. And so I looked at her, and I did, what, what can I do? I said, well, you just made a fool out of both of us, didn't you? And that's all I could do. And uh, fortunately, she's never slapped me again. So the second time, and I probably deserved it. I don't think I deserve that, Abby. I don't think you ever asked me to forgive you either. We deal with that after a while. No. <laughs> so the second time, the second time that I've, I can remember being slapped is, is a few years ago. I'm out in the lobby, okay, and I'm playing another game. Maybe I do have a problem with competition. And the game is, is called slap-ems. You hold your hands down like this, and the opponent puts their hands over here, and you, you try to slap their hand. If you slap their hand, you get to keep going. If they jerk without you slapping, you get a free hit, right? That's just the way the game goes. So I'm playing Jacob Wilson out in the lobby, and I am lighting him up. I mean, his hands are beat red. And I'm just, wham, like, and he put his hand over there, wham, wham, wham. And he's getting mad, and he's just like, but he, doesn't, he won't quit. So I got to teach the young man a lesson, right? And I just keep going, and we just keep going. And I am cracking up, and one time I slap, and I go down, and I'm laughing at him. And the next thing I know, whap, right across my face. He slapped me. So I look back at him, we're playing a game. And I reach back, and I slapped him. And at the time that I slapped him, his mother was standing out there. She looked up. She sees my hand hit his face. Whap! And she looks at me like I'm crazy. And I said, he hit me first. <laughs> and so those are the only two times I can really recall where I was actually slapped. But throughout my lifetime, there have been people who have quietly slapped me by the way they've treated me over and over and over again. And so what Jesus is saying to us is that when we enter into his kingdom and we're part of this nation and we have experienced this new Sabbath that brings rest to our souls, when somebody like slaps us on the inside, we will be the type of people who, doesn't, who don't want to just retaliate and slap back. He said, I'm going I'm to make a new nation. That there's going to be such a transformation that takes place in the life of the people who are part of my nation that when their enemies do something harmful to them, their first inclination is not going to be to get even, but they are going to look and go, look at how God treats me. 
And look at how good God is, has been to me. Even though I was an enemy of his, he welcomed me into his new nation. He made peace with me, and he, re, he gave me love when I didn't even deserve it. And that's what Jesus is saying. There will be such a change in the people of the new nation that I'm building, the new kingdom that I'm building, that the, the, it'll be so powerfully um, transformative that they won't react like everybody else in the world. They will be a new nation, a new kingdom. And so as we're living our lives and, and we think in terms of how this stuff works, well, we, we experience a new Sabbath. We, we become part of a new nation and we have an attitude that is different toward life. We approach life differently. It's about the kingdom. And when those things happen, that, that there's something about us that is intrinsically changed and it's not about the stuff we do. It's about who we are. It's just about a, it's not about doing, it's about being. Like, like I cannot, I, I've been following the Lord long enough that, that even when someone means harm for me, like I just, it's not in my nature anymore to mean harm back for them. If it's in your nature to immediately retaliate and you don't have the understanding of how to love someone who means evil for you, then the question must be asked, have you met the Lord? Are you part of this new nation? Because this new nation, Jesus says, the people in this new nation will be totally different. They will be carried along by a power that is not of this world, a kingdom they will belong to that is not an earthly kingdom. It is a heavenly kingdom. And so we see the whole thing where Jesus says that we will be able to perform the will of God on earth as it is done in heaven because we will have such a transformation that's taken place on the inside of us that we are no longer the same people. And, and so we begin to learn how to live by the kingdom rule, not the old rule. It's the new kingdom. And so we're learning to yield to that. And so when we talk about the good stuff and, and the new Sabbath and the new nation and the new life, there's a new way to treat people. Well, he goes on and something interesting is said in verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What's a good measure? He's talking about, man, it's something where you go and you, you purchase something and they measure it and they press it down and they pack it and they get as much in there. And, and, and a good, when you, when you go to purchase something and it's a good measure, the guy scoops and he packs and he scoops and there's just, just running off of the scoop and there's so much of it when he dumps it in that you get measured out a good measure of what you went for. Well, when it comes to following the Lord in this new life, I believe that when it talks about this outpouring, a good application for us is to understand the Holy Spirit. And so this is a spirit-guided life, is that when we are guided by the Spirit to live this kind of life and we're listening to the Lord who's calling us to live according to the rule of a new nation because we um, understand that we have a new life and this new Sabbath is part of who we are, that we will listen to the Spirit of God who is in us and we will yield to the new kingdom authority that is wanting to have its way inside of our lives. And that, that is a spirit-guide, spirit-led life. And so we, we become people who um, the way that God is able to measure out um, his, his favor in our lives is the way that we measure out that favor to others. What does he tell us in Galatians? He says, be ye, uh, or walk by the Spirit, 
Walk and be controlled by the fullness of the Spirit, not the deeds of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we are, we are filled with the Spirit. This is different than indwelling. When we become part of the nation, nation that God has established, that Christ has established, we're indwelt with the Spirit. But just because you're indwelt doesn't mean you're walking around as a full individual, but you should be. If you're not walking around in the fullness of Christ, you're walking around in disobedience and rebellion towards the Lord. You see, Jesus said, I will make in you a wellspring, a wellspring that does what? It overflows. And so the more that I am walking in life, and I'm walking in life in such a way that when he says, do not judge and you will not be judged, that doesn't mean that I can't ever help someone navigate through when they have sin in their lives. That's not what it means. I mean, in one sense, that's what I do every week as I'm preaching a sermon. I'm, I'm calling people to account to live according to what the word teaches. But I, I'm able to do it if I'm walking by uh, the Spirit and I'm led by the Spirit. I'm able to do it in such a way that I'm measuring it out and people don't feel judged when I do it. And so that, that's a spirit-led life. Now, watch what he says, because we see this teaching continue to go on. So he's, it's in this life that is new, in which we are able to treat people differently because of who we are, not just because we're trying to follow some legalistic idea, but it's just because of who we are, because the nature we have taken on is the nature of Christ. He says, he tells them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is he saying to us? He's saying that when we follow the Lord and when we are living by the Spirit in the way that he has, has designed for us to live and, it is, and, and we're living in such a way that it's a good measure pressed down and overflowing that we will be able to see clearly enough to guide other people. Like, so he's saying, hey, here's a new Sabbath. Here's a new nation. Here's a new life. And when you have this new life, it'll be spirit-led. And whenever you understand that it's led by the spirit, you will be able to see when you start following, you will be able to see so clearly that you can guide other people. But if you're blind, you will only lead people straight into the ditch. So now we come to the place where I originally landed with this text. Because it begs the question, okay, I see all that. Like, I, I see what you're saying there, Jimmy. I see what Luke is trying to show us. The question becomes, how is this done? How, how can we do this? And then he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. Like an apple tree doesn't produce watermelons, it produces apples. And a person who is going to produce good has to be the kind of tree that can produce good. 
Yet the Bible teaches us when we look at all of it theologically, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one good, save Christ. And so good has to be stored up in us in order to get good out of us. And so if we begin to approach this whole thing of the kingdom by thinking, well, I'm going to be a do-gooder. You can't be a do-gooder because there's no good in you. It's just not possible. So how do I get the good out? you got to get the good in. And so how do you get the good in? And he closes with this story. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I, show, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well, well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So what Jesus says, he says, look, the tree's got to be good. And, and here's how the tree becomes good. You got to dig down deep into your life where, where you know you exist, the depth of your soul, and you've got to lay your life on the foundation of the rock. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, these 12 guys who were gonna be the chiefs of the new nation, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Peter rises up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven and upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? That thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And so the only way to get the good in is to dig down deep and take your life and lay it on the altar of sacrifice. You say, it is no longer mine. I'm going to die. So you're going to die an evil man that brings forth evil. And when you die, Jesus will resurrect you. He will resurrect inside of you himself, and you will be a good man. And the good will be stored in you. And it won't be based on anything you've done. It'll be based on everything he's done. But your surrender will be so complete that a transformation will take place. And when it takes place, you will not be the same person. So you will not do the same stuff. You just, you can't do it anymore. Why? Because you have experienced the grace of God and there's been such a transformation, transformation that has taken place in your life that you, you can't even enjoy it anymore. You can't even enjoy the old way you used to live. You can't even come at peace to, to with trying to pursue wealth and, 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 and things that are of this world because you're so caught up with heaven. Why? Because something happened inside of you. And if you go, man, I, I don't know about that, then you don't know about that. But I want to tell you something. I know about that. Like he is in me. And, and the good that comes out of me is through my yielding to him 
And the, and, the, and the motivation for me to learn more about him is because of the rest that has taken place in my soul and, and realization that, hey, I'm a part of a new nation. I have a new life. I have a new master. And, and my life is consumed with my allegiance to this Lord who has done a work in me and he is guiding me by his Holy Spirit of which I can follow his lead and guide other people um, into the way of Christ. And when that happens, I have Good coming out of me. The fruit comes out of me. And it's based upon who I am. And so this is, this, is, this is the big idea, okay? I cannot possess this life, or I cannot live this life unless I possess it. Like, you can't do this. You can't be a person who loves your enemies unless Jesus is in you. And so, like, I, you know, I teach messages like this from time to time, but I, I don't think I could be more clear. It's like, you must be born again. And just because you come to church and just because you're trying to follow the teachings of Jesus, and just because your parents had you in church when you was a kid, that does not mean you're born again. The only thing that makes you a born-again believer in Christ is Christ inviting you to be a part of his nation, you digging down deep and making the decision to lay your life on the altar of sacrifice. And when that happens, you are born of the Spirit. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www dot overlandpark dot cc